Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, villains, and welcome to For the Love of Pomegranate podcast, the For the Love of Pomegranate podcast. I'm not even sure if the intro actually played there a moment ago because I didn't hear any music, but less of that. It's always gremlins in this show, and it's fine. That's why you love us, and that's why you come back to watch us again. But uh, as you can see, Paddy's found the fountain of youth here beside us, and uh, Paddy has uh, aged backwards. He's Benjamin Button. He's gone back about 40 years, and uh, this is what Paddy looks like. Is I'm only joking. This is, I'm joined tonight by the wonderful Matt Hayes. Um, uh supremo of the the tottenham hotspur youtube world and uh he's going to come and he's going to talk to us and something that's a bit different talk to us about uh i suppose the state of play with spurs at the moment because uh it seems to be it's like depending on who you talk to on any given day or any given time you know so everybody's going to have a different opinion about what's going wrong at spurs i myself I'm going to be really honest. You guys are still in a pretty decent spot, you know, regards <laughs> to everything that's going on. We're only seven, seven uh, games into the into the Premier League, but it's not all happy around the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, is it, Matt? Yeah, look, I think if we're going to be talking about the state of play. I think state is the, is the, is the key word to put in that because the last couple of weeks has been uh, absolutely atrocious. And I, I, I feel to, to some extent... Perhaps things were this bad uh, in the second and third week of the season as well, but a, a one 0 victory over Wolves and Watford uh, kind of glossed over the the problems that are going on there. But look, there's there, there's people struggle to agree on what the problem is because there are just so many of them, and it it begins right up at the top with with Daniel Lee and he goes right down to to all of those players on that pitch. But yeah, I'm not happy. Not happy. What I'm what I'm getting at. <laughs> Well, without exasperating you at the start, we we leave that to the end. Once we get the juicy stuff about the game out of the way first, I don't mind if you just slam your laptop closed and and leave (laughs) abruptly. I'm okay with that afterwards. But uh, obviously we play, we'll get on to maybe more more generic Spurs talk afterwards, but obviously Villa are um, coming to London uh, this weekend and are coming to to play you wonderful guys. And uh, as I mentioned, the great Paddy is over at that game um this weekend and he is he's actually over in london at the moment so that's not that's why he isn't here but um 
So you guys are obviously, as you say, it's been a bit of a topsy-turvy party, three wins to start the season, and then it hasn't been so great since then. But in the week, you seem to get get things back on, on track again. And, and uh, it was look, I know that they were a pretty lowly team. Um, I don't even know where they were from. Uh, Slovenia, <laughs> Slovakia. Was, was it was it Slovenia? Was it Slovenia? And, uh, you know, it was a pretty, pretty uh, decent win. It was but specifically in the second half, and Harry Kane seemed to find his shooting boots again. Does that give you? Does that does that kind of raise your spirits ahead of ahead of the game at the weekend, or is it just masking over cracks that you're probably seen previously? Yeah, look, I'd, I'd say it's probably the latter, and I, I kind of emphasized that point quite a bit on on Twitter last night to the to this May of many Spurs fans, and I lost a few followers over it as well. But look, I, I think we're, we're playing NS Mora. There, I think it was three hundred and thirty seventh in the European coefficient standings. And for context, Tottenham are fourteenth, and it's it's great to go out and win, and it's great for for Harry Kane to go out and bag a hat trick. But at the end of the day, we played what I wouldn't even call a second string team. We had kind of a mixture between our first team, uh, looking players like Giovanni Lo Celso, uh, who I'm pretty sure started the North London derby. You had Christian Romero, who just signed for fifty million, Sergio Regalon, starting left back as well. Yet that team still couldn't be convincing enough to to get into that last half an hour and not need to bring on Harry Kane, Hoyman Son, Lucas Moura, and Pierre Emil Hoybier. And what I'm kind of looking at now is those players are essentially our plan B. You know, going into this game against Villa on Sunday, if it is, you know, a tight affair, which I, I really do expect it to be, if we're one all 65, 70 minutes, the players that we have to bring off the bench are players that couldn't beat, with, with all due respect, two more. They've done incredibly well nine years after being founded to get to this point. But if the players can't beat them, I don't expect them to be able to, to do anything against Aston Villa. And, and that for me is where the concern came from. I, I made the point when we made those uh, subs bringing on the big guns that, we shouldn't have to do that. And in hindsight, great. It worked. Harry Kane scored a hat-trick. But for me, the problem lies within the necessity to make those subs in the first place. And it's just adding uh, problem to problem that, that I'm seeing with this first team at the moment. And of, of the team that finished yesterday, mm-hmm. you know, there was there was, there was quite a lot of, I suppose, fanfare at the fact that Deli Ali was going to be moved back into his number 10 position yesterday. And he didn't finish, like he didn't, didn't finish in that position uh, in the game. And, and, and to be honest with you, he, he didn't really light anything up. Um, it was only when Lo Celso went into that number ten position that, that things started to get moving, and you know creativity started to flow for Spurs because I, I I did uh, watch a good bit of it yesterday. But um, what what's the thoughts on how that team finished and 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 the likelihood of that team maybe starting against Villa at the weekend? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of similarities in there. I mean. Brian, Brian Hill is a player who's, who's really struggled to get uh, some some Premier League game time. I don't think he has his first start yet. He was one of our most exciting, most kind of the players that was on the front foot. And when he when he gets the ball, you're on the edge of your seat, and it's, it's yeah, as simple as that with yeah, him. And he really is. He's so and he's still only twenty years of age. He was whipped off with thirty minutes to go. I think he um, is one of the has to be one of the first names on that team sheet. Uh, but in, in comparison, like you're saying, that team that finished the game, there's Kane has to start. Son, uh, Lucas, Hoybier. Um, Oliver Skip, I think, came off, but he needs to be in that starting team as well. So it is going to be a relatively similar team. I mean, Sergio Regalon as well. Uh, I expect there to be a few changes at the back, which I'm not sure I'm too happy with because it was uh, Christian Romero and Joe Roden that played in the centre-back spot last night. And again, while still taking into account the, the quality of the opposition, there was still an element of, uh, they were more assured than what we've seen in the last couple of games. And they seem to play well together as well. And if I'm not mistaken, it is their first time together. Uh, but I expect it to that be changed back to Dyer and Sanchez. But it is a concern that on a Thursday night, uh, being brought right down to the last 10, uh, 15 minutes by Mora, that a lot of those players are going to have to be starting um, uh, at two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. And 
Again, it's just problems everywhere, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned there, so, so you don't you don't think Christian Christian Romero is going to start at the weekend? You think it's going no. to Davison Sanchez and Dyer? Really? I, I, I do. I do think they started uh, the game against Arsenal on on Sunday. Uh, I think Christian Romero started with Dyer against Chelsea, and was was decent in that first half. But as soon as Chelsea kind of started getting on the front foot uh, and really starting to cause problems for us at the back, I think Romero was one of the players that looked a bit. Um, a bit weaker, even in the cup game against Wolves last week for their um, their second goal. And Dombele gave the ball away in the middle of the park, but it was a, a really slack pass that somehow managed to make a pass for Romero. And look, there's always going to be that, that that time of him, you know, needing to settle in into you know, first of all the squad, the, the style of play, and as well just the, the a new country and everything that comes with that on a, on a personal level that could could affect him on the pitch to some extent as well. But I, I feel as though Nuno is struggling at the moment to to make the right big decisions, and I think including Christian Romero. Is one that he needs to make, but I, I think he's just looking back at those first three games of Dyer and Sanchez keeping clean sheets uh, and trying to kind of force that out of them again. But uh, any Spurs fan will be able to tell you that when Dyer and Sanchez have a good three or four games, typically what comes next is a really, really bad three or four games before they then balance out. And I, I just think Nuno is still struggling to to kind of figure out that best squad. And Romero, I think, is one player who's just on the wrong side of that at the moment. And we'll get on to Nuno in a moment because I I I I, I don't know and and I don't watch maybe enough of Spurs to to probably maybe appreciate somebody like Eric Dyer, but uh, like and, and I'm not having a go at you here, Matt or anything, but like if Eric Dyer is up against Ali Watkins uh, and and Danny Ings at the weekend, I I would be thinking that Eric Dyer would want to get go to bed now and sleep because he's going to be running all day long, and I don't know whether that suits him, and I could be completely wrong. But uh, for me, that w- like uh, I would be flummoxed as to why Christian R- Christian Romero wouldn't be in there, considering he's used to nippy forwards, pacey forwards, you know, South American forwards. If I want to be almost stereotypical and tropism with it, um, and 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 for me, him and Sanchez, I think would be a lot more formidable backline. And um, realistically, I think you should be playing the back three like Villa do. But then again, I don't mm. pick the team, so it's. Uh, <laughs> but it's like with all the, with all the centre halves that you do have there, you know, Rodden is a, is a, is a very very uh, capable centre half as well. But it's uh, and plus obviously with your two with your two fullbacks in Emerson, Ryan, and Reggian, they they can go up and down the field at will. You know, they're once again they're attacking fullbacks as well. So why not utilize them as wingbacks? But but for me, I think that um. The the with with Ings and Watkins should they be the top two and I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be for Aston Villa that uh, for me I think Eric Dyer mightn't be the man for them now go out and watch him have an absolute stormer and block Pebbles <laughs> and have it have a Richard Dunn versus Russia in two thousand and nine or whatever it was type game but uh, is is he am, am I being overly harsh on him or is he Mister Steady Eddie oh. Independent because every team has that guy that. Other fans mm. think he's shite, and next thing their fans are like, "No, he's actually not. He's pretty decent." Mm. Yeah, look, at, at times that is dire, and at times it isn't. And for for some reason, there seems to be this kind of feeling, whether it's within the dressing room or just the managers that we've that we've had in, is that Dyer seems to be some sort of a leader, or just it kind of feels for these managers as though he needs to be on the pitch. Like he was one of Jose Mourinho's favorite players, and I know in the past Mourinho did try and take. Eric Dyer to uh, to Manchester United as well, but even for Pochettino towards the end when things weren't going really well, a lot of the time we saw Dyer selected in that centre back role, and it, look he must be doing something on the training ground that he isn't doing as consistently on the pitch. Now don't get me wrong, he has had some incredible performances for Spurs, and you know, he's even nominated for Player of the Month in August. He had a good start to the season, but it's that inconsistency and 
like you, you go back to, to a few games last season, we had a run uh, kind of, I think it was end of November, start of December, where we beat Manchester City, uh, we beat Arsenal and we drew them all the way to Chelsea, which are three incredible results for us. And then you skip on a month and we're going to Craven Cottage. We drew one all because Eric Dyer lost the header to Ivan Cavalero. And again, Cavalero is a great player, but he's half the size of Eric Dyer. And it's just that lack of uh, consistency in the way you just can't trust him that you never know when he's going to come out with. And like you said, he could have a stormer, but he could also be the man that's uh, cut out numerous times by Watkins and Ings pressing. Um, and, you know, in possession, he could be a bit unsure and things could could really go awry from there. But he just seems to be that first name in the team sheet at the back so consistently. Mm-hmm. And look, as I say, a lot of fans are probably going to look at the Aston Villa team sheet at the weekend and go, oh, two and Xavier isn't in there and Courtney House is in there. What the hell is Courtney House doing in there? Like when you've got two and Xavier on the bench. And that's probably what I'm like. I've fallen probably victim to that exact same um, knee jerkism, I think, I suppose, really to looking at mm. team sheets. Because after what we've seen from Courtney House <laughs> against Manchester United and against for, for 15, 20 minutes against Lukaku in the in the League Cup, Courtney House is an absolute beast and, and, and he's just been he's been impervious at the back for us. So I, I fully expect him to start in the center of our defense, obviously with Kanza and Mings either side of him. But just like that, you know, a lot of eyebrows will be raised because of maybe a more fit a more how am I gonna say it? I, I want to say a kind of a favorable name in Axel Tunzebi, but like I I, re- I wouldn't mind either of the two of them starting in there. I just think when you have the jersey, it's yours, and you need to, you, you know, it's yours until until it isn't. And uh, while it was unfortunate that two and Zabi couldn't play last week because he was he was playing against his parent team, House went out and corralled the best striker, probably well the, the best goal scorer, I suppose, what we call him, um, that's ever played the game. So uh, it is, it, it's it, it's something I suppose when we look at both both teams, there probably would be questions asked: Why is this defender in there? Why isn't there this defender in there? And and next thing I want to get on to Matt is that you know. <sighs> Dean Smith has recently changed up his tactics, changed up, changed up pretty radically to a three-five-two, something that he hadn't really played previously. We we played it sparingly in the first season that we were up in the Premier League, but he's gone back to it and he's played it. And since then, we've looked at a completely different outfit. But I know that amongst Spurs fans, there's been a lot of wrangling and a lot of a lot of discussion as to why Nuno wanted to come in and play a four-three-three system. Uh, when four two three one has worked so well for Spurs since they've pretty much been competitive within the league, you know, over the last last decade, what's the feelings in that? Do you think it's as simple as that? As that there's a, there's a level of stubbornness with regards to the setup as opposed to uh, as opposed to maybe Nuno having a proper plan. Um, I, I think it'd be a bit harsh to, to to call it stubbornness because I feel if he spotted this uh, this kind of problem within the team and he could. Know, pinpoint the problem as the formation mm. well then I, I feel like he would he would change that and I, I think it would be um, a bit harsh to say well he doesn't want to change it just to prove himself right or, or whatever but I, I having said that I don't know why he hasn't changed it because it, it is like looking at uh, what we're doing in there uh, that game against Arsenal for example where we're playing that 4-3-3 which at times you know works it, it has worked that first first half against Chelsea the week before we were we were really really good and we we looked as though we should have been leading that game at the break but then we're going into this game against Arsenal and you play uh, Pierre-Emil Hoybier, Tonki and Dombele and Deli Alli now two three years ago uh two three years ago Deli Alli maybe two years ago in Dombele and last year Hoybier. That's an incredible midfield and one that should win most Premier League games. But those players right now just aren't that good. They're, they're, they're not good enough in order to make that work. And I feel like what he needs to do is either if he wants to play that 4-3-3, play Hoybier and skip because the two of them together this season, I think, have been, have been really, really good for us. But otherwise, 
if you're going to continue with the the one defensive player and two attacking players, I don't see the point in kind of having the two attacking players kind of half half going forward and half not going forward. If you're if you want to do that, put one right in that number ten role. And like you said against Mora when it was Giovanni Lacelso. Uh, that that really did work out uh, for him, and he was creating opportunities. Got in the score sheet in that first half as well. But I, I I'm struggling to to kind of see what Nuno is trying to do with it, with the the team selections, and then that uh, that formation as well. If, if we don't see a change soon, I think the the questions in that Tottenham fan base will start to get a, a little bit louder week by week. But I mean, I, I suppose I have to sit here and say I, I trust the manager to some extent that that he does know what he's doing and that he does have this plan because I, I think when Fabio Paratici came in. The, the first manager he wanted was Paolo Fonseca. Things didn't really work out there with the, the side of football and this stuff like that. This is going to be my, ne- my next question because <laughs> give, give us yeah. a rundown on that, look, call it what it was, that manager mm. search saga that happened as Levy comes out and says, I want someone who's going to play vibrant, attacking, front foot football. And you guys aren't really seeing it at the moment, even though you have who I thought in the face of it was a ready-made manager for Spurs. Yeah, um, look, I'm, I'm glad that hunt is over. <laughs> I'll just say that much. Uh, with, with, with Fonseca, it's that, that was the weirdest one of the ball because we had the, the couple of weeks around uh, Mauricio Pochettino and Antonio Conte, and you know, I think Poch got really close, uh, in the press at least, and that kind of fell apart. Then we we're going for Conte, then that fell apart. We we're kind of back on the Poch train, um, and then there was a few whispers at some people, then all of a sudden it was Fonseca to Spurs, uh, deal done. He's he went on holiday, I think, to Ukraine with his wife just for a week before it happened. Um, and then he, I think, was going to London to meet with Paratici to sign the contract. And then all of a sudden, there's these fiscal problems with the with the contract and all this. And look, the amount of lawyers that would have looked through every single page of that contract, I think, if those problems weren't uh, unearthed until the last couple of minutes, I feel there, there's a bit of a yeah. bit of an untruth being spun our way there. Um, but Fonseca then himself uh, decided to go to the media last week, and he was saying that essentially he was outlining the plan, what he wanted to do, how he wanted to play, and it was too attacking for Fabio Paratici, which, I mean, straight up there shows this huge issue in your question, like, what, what, what are we doing here? You know, what do we do when Nuno Espirito Santo is coming out in the press, like, oh, I know the philosophy of Tottenham, I know what the club is about, I know how they want to play, but now we're hearing that the only reason he was appointed is because he's not going to play like that. And we've ended up now with Nuno, who just typically doesn't play attacking football, even when he got Wolves as well as he did there. Um, and I, I probably didn't know this as much uh, throughout his time at Wolves uh, until I spoke to Wolves fans when he was appointed and they kind of said he, he just plays boring football that's just who he is and people who are calling him a B-Tech Mourinho to some extent may have been right and here we are <laughs> I, I, I don't know what else to say it's because it's an interesting one because once again you know do a lot of fans of, of, of other clubs fall victim to thinking that what Wolves completely took the championship by storm the year they got promoted they were unbeatable like they were just absolutely fantastic and it yeah. irks me to say it being a, a team from the from the, the the west midlands and then they came up into the premier league and they've they, they got into europe and they played really good stuff they attracted some really good footballers obviously semedo uh dendonker uh Ruel neves um jimenez you know and they can still attract this this fantastic caliber of player and that will come because Nuno Espirito Santo played with decent football. And then it's, it's, it's like all of a sudden that, that he didn't anymore, if that makes sense. And, and he's yeah. gone on to Spurs and he's, he's like as if he's lost his moxie or he's he's doubting himself and, 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 and maybe his tactical setup and he wants to change it up to be a bit more... Um, I suppose maybe he's maybe something's gotten into his mind that maybe he's he's tactic you'll only get him so far. Now he's at Spurs, and if Spurs really want to win the league, they need to be a bit more um resolute. Um obviously you mentioned there that you brought in Paratici. Um 
like like uh, with him you know he he had uh how would I put it? He tried to butter both side sides of his bread with, with with Juventus and the um and and the Super League, and then and then he comes to, to Spurs. No, and, and like I mean, what I mean is he's a very um he, he's he's a good sporting director. You know, he's a good sporting mm. director. But if he came in and wanted something completely different than Levy was going to the going to the fans with, then there's there's discontent not discontent but there's this connection from the top down then at that stage and something you alluded to at the start so realistically does this all all like this and, and this is a crude phrase and I, i'm going to use it anyway but is the shit flowing up here towards uh towards levy you know yeah uh, it's, it's not the first time in the last couple of years he, he's done this because i think jose Mourinho. uh before we point him i think when we got potch back in 2014 jose was someone that uh daniel levy wanted to bring into the club and of course it failed back then because we were essentially just a, a, a happy to be in the Europa League team and that's not what Jose Mourinho wanted at what was close to his prime and then the for a split second it looked as though Mourinho was available and Levy cut ties with the best manager we've had uh, potentially since the 60s or 70s in Mauricio Pochettino just to get Mourinho in despite the kind of the club completely building in the opposite way you know having this long-term project playing attacking free-flowing football uh, trying to bring youth through put it all to the wayside we want Jose we want him now and then he came out in uh, at the end of last season. It was actually was it Villa we played or last home game of the season? He came out in the yeah, match program for that. And I think he, he was saying, season, yeah, there was the, the Roy Mason was in charge. The fans were not too happy about the Super League first of all, and then they weren't too happy with Roy Mason either. And yeah. Uh, yeah, but I remember that there was a big piece in the in the in the pre match um, from that. Yeah, yeah, he was talking about the the DNA of the club about how we want to play That's a free flowing attack in football, how we want to bring all of this back to the club, and. See, the thing is, at that point, I genuinely thought he believed. I gen- like, I still do believe he actually meant that and he wanted to do that. But this guy that he's known and respected and kind of been friends with on a personal level for a few years and Fabio Paratici becomes available and he, he struggles to uh, to say no to these people that I, I honestly think he's just starstruck by and just feels so uh, lucky and so privileged to be able to bring them into the club. And he kind of throws those things to the wayside a little bit in order to get this in. And it's you then end up with, you know, this... Uh, this kind of board that apparently want to attack in football. Then you bring in this uh, director of football that wants defensive football. You have these players who some are brought in under Potts to play attack in football. Some are brought in under Jose to play defensive football. And there's such a disparity at every single mm. level of this football club that I, I, I always compare it to the way we uh, we recruit. We want to buy the best players. We want to pay high wages. We want to be like competing with the best, but we want to do it in a way that's cheap. And it's this disparity the whole way through, trying to get to every place in the easy way that is is creating th- those first cracks and everything. And then it just starts peeling away further and further. And Daniel Levy is the, the root of the problem. He's not the only problem, but he is the root of, of the majority of what's going wrong with his football club. Um, another thing I suppose that kind of engulfed the, the, the Spurs off-season was... Uh... A little known striker, not too many people would know him down the down the ranks in your club. Uh, Harold Kane, I think his name is. Um, I don't know. He's, him, yeah. yeah, he's eligible to play with Ireland, I think, or something. Like that, <laughs> at one stage. Uh, but no, Harry Kane. In all seriousness, Harry Kane. Um, maybe he saw. I don't know, and I'd like your opinion on it as well, because um, mm-hmm. look, it was a pretty protracted piece, and it almost went side by side in parallels with us and Jack Grealish. You guys held on to Kane. We sold Jack Grealish. I firmly believe it was one or the other um, was going to go to Man City, and uh, it was Jack Grealish. We then had an opportunity to invest in our team and our club, and we have done. We've bought some decent players. But 
I think, or would it be fair to say that that whole paralysis that probably came over the club with the indecision with Harry Kane, not being able to maybe, like a lot of players looking at the club going, oh, I don't know, do I want to be there if Harry Kane isn't going to be there? Probably that stifle maybe you guys bringing in more attacking talent because realistically it was uh, it was Emerson Royale and it was Romero at the back and, and, and the attacking talent up front didn't really materialise for you guys. Yeah, I, I do think that played a big part. And I think kind of the main part it played was if... like We, we, we lost Carlos Vinicius who we had as our backup striker. So mm. there was always, I think, a feeling that we needed to get in another striker. And it wasn't until maybe eight, nine days before the end of the window that it was done. It was final. Harry Kane was staying. And I feel what happened there was if we keep Kane, maybe there was a plan to spend 20, 30 million on a, you know, maybe a Vout Bay course from, from Wolfsburg or uh, you know, a, a player kind of of that ilk who's not at the top level of European football, but can be a player to do a job for us, kind of like Fernando Llorente did. But we were unwilling to do that because if we did that, bought a 20, 30 million pound player and then Harry Kane was gone, we needed two more strikers all of a sudden. And you'd rather just buy the two 50, 60 million pound strikers. Uh, Lataro Martinez was the was the biggest one that we yeah. wanted. And it was yeah, just that answer. that kind of lack of, uh, of of knowing where the Kane situation was going to go, stifled, as you said, the the incomings at the top of the pitch and everywhere else as well. Because like it, it's so true that I think for, for a striker, if you're coming to Tottenham, you don't want to be there if Harry Kane is there because you're not going to play. But for every other position, you don't want to be at Tottenham unless Harry Kane is there. And... Mm. I mean, we were so lucky and uh, you know, I was actually sitting down watching that game last night and we were playing more and the ball got Christian Romero at one point and I said, what's he doing here? Like, honestly, what is Christian Romero doing at this football club? He's a Serie A defender of the year last year. He's just won the Copa America. He was wanted by Messi at Barcelona. And and, and this is what he's doing now. It's It, it was, a, it was a, a painful moment. But yeah, the, the Kane situation kind of broke everything. And also kind of stunted our start of the season despite the fact we got the good results. There was a, a while before we uh, so we still haven't really got running, but there was, you know, not knowing who's going to be our number nine, who's actually going to play the first couple of games of the season. And, you know, I, I blame Levy 50% for that, and I blame Harry Kane the other 50. Do you think it's, do you, like, do you think he's firing on all cylinders? Do you think he, and it's hard to say, and you never want to kind of fully admit it, and to be honest with you, I'm kind of glad that Jack Grealish isn't with Aston Villa. Now, not, just just mm. from, from what I'm going to say here, look, Jesus, I'd love to have his talent in the team. And I, and I know every podcast I go on to, I say, this is the last we're going to mention to Jack Grealish anymore because he's not a Villa player. But but if he was to, if we were to have another year where we staved off um, a big bid from another club, maybe, and he didn't maybe sign a, sign a contract this year to give us a false sense of hope. We would all be thinking, well, does he really want to stay here? Is it just, are we just biding our time? Is he just going to leave at the end of the year? What's that going to do for our future prospects? But we've ripped off the band aid now, albeit a very hefty 100 million, million pound band aid, which, uh, which I think was a very fair price. And um, I would like more, obviously. I think he's worth more. Um, but do you think that potentially in Kane's head, there's it's it's not really sorted with him. And at the end of the year, provided you guys don't win the league or win a cup or do something pretty decent in the, in the UEFA Cup, he's still going to be at the same juncture or crossroads he was at the end of this year. Yet he'll mm-hmm. still have five years left in his contract or four years or whatever it is because of mm-hmm. the massive contract that he signed. Yeah. Is, is like... It is is his, and I don't want to call it a dip in form because Jesus Christ, what I'm doing here is I'm actually willing him nearly to score goals by talking about him, and I don't even want to do it. But like, going, is, is the fact that he's dropping back so deep a lack of trust in in the system, or is it something that you'd seen creep into his game even in last year? I, I do feel as though there's two different ways to look at this, and 
I think over the summer uh, for England at the Euros, I looked at it as the way of kind of praising Harry Kane and kind of at Spurs now, I'm looking at it at a different way. And the be all and end all is last season, Harry Kane dropped deep, played almost that quarterback, quarterback role and had the best season of his career. And that I think is something that shouldn't be ignored. And what I was saying kind of during the Euros was, well, Gareth Southgate, his best player is Harry Kane. Surely he has to play him in that in his best role if yeah. that's going to be dropping deep. It didn't work in that England system because that is not the way they were playing. And ultimately Kane had to just kind of bite the bullet, go up top, and he ended up scoring three or four goals. I think he needs to do the same at Tottenham because Nuno isn't going to implement a style. I don't think he has the ability to implement a style where Kane in that deeper role can be the um the player that can do that. But I suppose it, it is a, a fairly uh, appropriate point that maybe it is a lack of trust in the players around him. And, you know, Dara put it in the comments a while ago saying that Son is uh, is more important to Tottenham than Harry Kane. And I think in terms of creativity, that is that is absolutely true because I, I kind of get the feeling that when Kane is now dropping deep, because the players know that he's not, that's not what he needs to be doing. They don't want to give him that ball to, to give him the chance to do it because ultimately we need him on the last centre-back. We need him to be the man on Gabriel uh, against Arsenal or on uh, Thiago Silva against Chelsea or hopefully on uh, Courtney House uh, on, on Sunday. But he doesn't seem to be willing to do that. And it's it's hurting his stats this season, uh, for sure. And I just think a lot of it comes back to he doesn't want to be here as much as he did in the past. And maybe he won't be willing to make, make, make as much sacrifice for the team as he has done in the past. And I never thought we'd be saying that about him. I never thought we'd be saying he'd be skipping training. But he is hurting the team right now by, by playing a position that... I'm sure isn't the one that Nuno was putting on that whiteboard in the dressing room for him. That's really interesting. That's really interesting because it's, uh, it's, it, you know, it, it, it every, everything is so different than when we spoke the last time before the last game. Yeah. Well, everything is different except from the point that there was still in trep trepidation about the manager at that time. Nobody was too certain about Mourinho and about his tactics mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and, and, and Mourinho was, getting to that position that that kind of he gets into this this kind of position with a club probably he likes the great back you know he likes to he doesn't like when someone's nudging up against him he likes to nudge back again you know and, and he was getting that way with spurs and it was you know it was it was only a matter of time before before uh something happened and he and and he i can't remember did, did the club relieve him of his duties or did he leave just before oh, no, he, he, he was sacked all right yeah, was, <laughs> he was I, aggressively I, I, sacked <laughs> aggressively sacked okay yeah yeah put soften his cough a small bit but um <laughs> uh no it's it, it is an interesting one and look as i say that uh it, it was i suppose like that the, that the club is trying to trying to reformulate i suppose since then and look Mourinho has done it again he's left the club and he's you know the club is slightly in turmoil after he's left you know yeah. so it's uh it's 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 something that he does if i was to put a gun to your head matt if i was to put a gun to your head and i, and I won't because i like you um what formation and what team do you see do you see play on sunday is this one that i think will play or that i, I, I would pick myself which one do i want give me both okay <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a four three three um okay. for for whatever reason um and Arisa will be back in goal which you know you, you'd expect and, yeah. and want to the league games at this point uh I I, I think who's going to start right back actually because Tanganga has I think the the last two maybe three seasons have started the season really well at right back had a, a few good performances against bigger teams and then kind of struggled to keep that up um Emerson in his few appearances for Spurs so far bar his first appearance um I think the best thing I can say about him is he's an utter clown and is I think what we thought we were getting rid of in Serge Aurier and that he's defensively rash he's supposed to be good going forward but he just can't really show it and he commits stupid fouls all around the place um so I, I think if, if we do want to go for 
kind of uh, not actual attacking football, but make it seem like we're playing more attacking football. Um, I think maybe Emerson will be in there. Uh, like I said, Dyer and Sanchez uh, in the middle, Reglan at left back. The three midfield, Hoybier is going to start, um, first of all. I think Deli Alli will be nowhere near that team after uh, the, the last couple of weeks. But I suppose in a similar vein to Eric Dyer, he seems to be one that a lot of managers, maybe excluding Mourinho for a couple of months, just keeps on picking. Um, so I put Hoybier in there. I'm going to go with Skip, mainly because he was taken off uh, in uh, with half an hour to go in that game yesterday. And a lot of Spurs fans are expecting it. And I, I can see why Brian Gill in, in that midfield position, uh, kind of more in a... I suppose it, it could be a bit closer to a 4-2-3-1, maybe now that I say that out loud, but kind of in that uh, kind of free-flowing position uh, in front of those two holding midfielders and then uh, Lucas and Son, either side of Harry Kane. The changes that I personally make to that, um, I'd probably go with the, the centre-back pair you said in putting uh, Romero alongside Sanchez. Uh, give me Tanganga out at right-back. Uh, maybe put Gill up a bit further instead of Lucas and drop myself up into the midfield. But um, I'm, I'm going to be disappointed with the lineup. Almost whatever <laughs> happens, like. <laughs> uh, I actually, do you know what you mentioned about Pierre Mjolnirberg? I think he's a magic player. I think he's brilliant. I would love him to play. Um, uh, I would love him to play in our midfield. Although our midfield is really good at the moment, it's really the structure of our midfield is brilliant at the moment, and something that a change of formation has really helped us with. Pierre Mjolnirberg, um, like he was excellent last season. I I would have had him in my team of the season. Uh, for mm-hmm. sure last season in that position and, and he went on to play well for Denmark do you think maybe with somebody like him or, and like looking at your team in comparison to our team uh, and I know we had a couple of people that were away but like COVID broken season goes into uh, a, you know a, a truncated season then afterwards which starts a small bit a small bit uh, earlier then goes into the, the Euros do you think a player like Pierre-Emile Heiberg you said that maybe he hasn't been at, up to speed of it this year maybe that has had had some some something to do with it or are the same kind of little idiosyncrasies that maybe you saw in previous year just coming back to be more magnified this season um i i think if, if there's any player in that spurs team that's suffering from from any form of burnout it, it is hoibier you know he i think he was the only outfield player in the premier league last season to literally play every single minute uh, of every single game which is an incredible accomplishment for 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 any player um but kind of at the the intensity that he plays with so often uh, it's it's even more uh, more impressive, and uh, look, uh, uh, players are to some extent only as good as the players around him. And look, there, there are certain players like you know Harry Kane, Hoyman, Son who can who can kind of transcend the, the the incompetence, I'd say, of of their teammates. But Hoybier in that kind of that, that that important role, he needs the help of uh, those two midfielders around him, kind of in, in in keeping games condensed into the middle of the park. And that's what Tottenham want to do. If he makes a little bit of an error, as you can often expect uh, in there. He needs some players behind him to, to help him out a little bit. And I feel like that has just been lacking a lot more than usual this season um, in, in, in every department. And he has failed from that. But if that man doesn't get any sort of muscle injury uh, this season, if he does keep playing to this level, I'll, I'll be absolutely flabbergasted. And I will start to ask questions about the uh, anti-doping tests that are going on there because he is an absolute machine, even though that quality has been somewhat lacking this season. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen to him anyway because he's he's a very good player to watch and and mm-hmm. definitely you know there was talks maybe that Douglas Louise might move on prior to you guys purchasing Heiberg, um there was talks Douglas Louise might move back to City and I would have thought I I was like he was definitely top of my list um from the Premier League to 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 snatch up anyway but you guys got in there nice and early that that um that 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 transfer window to to snare him um i suppose looking at the aston villa team i think the aston villa team is pretty much going to be 
as it has been the last uh, for the last week or so, last two weeks. We're definitely going to play the three five two tactic once more. It's it served us really well. We should have we we were nowhere near a three nil te- losing team against Chelsea. We beat uh, Everton three nil, albeit there was some hairy moments or not hairy moments, but some lull points I think in that game. And then against United, we just put in a very very disciplined midfield defensive performance. The spacing between our midfield and defense was brilliant. We fanned out in midfield, which is something we never do. We normally go with a, a diamond of our, of our three or our two in midfield. We fanned out across the pitch and we took the game to them really high up the field and we completely stopped them getting any ball into into um, Bruno Fernandes. But I think that our team will be very much as it is. A couple of guys have mentioned it there in the, in, in the, in the comments earlier on. Um, I'm just going to bring one up here from um, AVFC US. So it's going to be 532, 532, uh, 532 um, or 352, whichever way you want to call it. Uh, I think House definitely definitely keeps his place. Um, so you're going to have Kanza, House, Mings, Cash, and Target will be the two wing backs. And I think I, I I think that there's I think they're going to have a job to do with the weekend more so coming backwards than going forwards based mm. on the fact that especially if you've got you guys have Brian Hill and um and Son uh, on the wings um our midfield three are deceptively good they get carry, they carry an awful lot of ground and they seem to work an awful lot better this year with Jacob Ramsey who for me has been the find of the season for Aston Villa so far. We've spent thirty million on Bailey, thirty-eight million on Buendia. We've spent money on Danny Ings. We've spent money on you know, but but Jacob Ramsey cost us nothing. Came true. He's like our Oliver Skip, except he's a bit more he's a bit more meaty um, in the tackle, and he's a bit more a uh, bit more robust when he gets around the field. But himself and John McGinn and 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 uh, Douglas Louise work really well together in that midfield that midfield three, and they're they're all action. And they're not only all action because our two strikers at the moment are getting to know each other. One of them is getting back into fitness and the other guy, Danny Ings, spends more time in the right back position, chasing people back. His, Danny Ings' engine, his pressure rate, his, his teamwork, his all-around kind of, I suppose, just his all-around endeavour and, and honesty is just a joy to watch. And he's one of these players that when you watch him playing with another team, you see him score the spectacular goals and you see him being a thorn in your side. And, you, and I'm not going to say you find it difficult to like him, but you kind of go, how does he do that? But when he's playing <laughs> with your own team and you're watching him week in, week out, you're like, Jesus, he's absolutely everywhere, all around the field. And uh, and himself and Watkins, I think, will be up front. But... um. I think it's going to be a tough game. I think it's going to be going to be a tough game for both teams during the week at, at the weekend. Um, mm. I'm certain, like like you named those players on that Tottenham team. If they just all they need to do is click for one day, one game, and you're beaten. You know, like it's yeah. there's, there's there's really good talent on that team, and 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 even though you know that you're a bit, you know, maybe you're a bit unsure about the tactics or maybe what Nuno is going to put out, or maybe there's a bit of a a bit of a, a depression around around the club at the moment. Are you, are you still confident that you guys are going to come out of it with a win at the weekend? Do you know, something that I've um, I've kind of developed over the last 18 months with Spurs is despite my delusions um, over a season in general, I've become somehow fairly astute in predicting individual games. And I, I can't see us winning this game, Neil. I really can't. And look, it, it could just be that, that kind of general negativity and that feeling of, oh, you know, we've just lost to Arsenal 3-1. We're on our, we're on our worst defensive run since 0-3. I'm just, I, th- I don't think Nuno's the man. It could just, that kind of, um, that kind of feeling that's making me negative. But I can't, if this, like I said, if this team clicks, we win a game, but they don't click. 
ever. And, and, and that's the fear. And look, I, I do, even when you're just claiming that team there, I do have maybe a bit of hope that with you playing that three at the back, that if we kind of put our, our front three right on top of your back three, that we could cause issues in that way. Uh, kind of like we did similar to Chelsea in that first half and like really, really isolate each of those centre-backs. Um, but it, it doesn't usually last longer than, uh, it doesn't last long enough to actually you know, get us a lead in that game and to hold on to things. The other team change something and we're done. And it's, it's just that lack of a plan B. It's the, the lack of effort, the lack of Harry Kane being able to play in the Premier League, uh, judging by his form this season. I, I, I really can't see us winning it. And it hurts me to say that, but it's just that that feeling is just there constantly. Do you know that kind of dreaded feeling you have going into the game? Like yeah. you, you almost don't want the game to be played, sort of. That's that's just where I'm at at the moment. Well, if there's any suspicious packages right around that <laughs> stadium at the weekend, we know where to go look at that. No, we can't have this game being played. I don't feel confident. Who do you think paid for Paddy's ticket? It's, 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 it's got an Irish postmark on it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, yeah, that, that, there's there's a lot of layers to that actually. When I just, <laughs> but, uh, um, but no, I think I suppose for the, for the game at the weekend, <clears throat> we're coming off a historic win, one nil win in Old Trafford. Jesus, if we were to pull off a win, a win in London for Aston Villa Football Club is a big deal in itself. Never mind the win against Spurs, a win in London, um, and to, to to follow up Old Trafford with with a win in London would be like magical stuff. And look, we were. We had some famous wins last season, um, and we can, we can rattle off wins against the bigger teams. But where we struggle is against the Watfords on, on opening day. And with it, once again, with the greatest will in the world, Watford beat us fair and square, and and they beat us because they were the better team on opening day. But some teams just get the better of us, and teams that we would be expected to beat. So what I'm trying to get at here is that while I don't, while I'm not cocky about winning and confident about winning. I think that we can go and we can give Spurs a good rattle because I think that we're probably a team because of the work rate we have in there that no team that's down on their luck really wants to wants to to come up against at the moment. And yeah. with our magician with long hair on the on the on the bench, Nanny McPhee drawing up all his set pieces all over the place because uh have a look into our set piece coach. He's become a bit of a cult hero around Villa Park because we're scoring from set pieces, we're creating from set pieces, and we're getting a getting a name from for being pretty lethal from set pieces, whether it be throws, whether it be free kicks, whether it be corners, whatever. We've we've just changed up little things like Douglas Louise. No one knew he could take a corner. Well, they they did know, but we were because we had somebody probably like Jack Grealish who we felt was a better corner kick taker. Douglas Louise wasn't taking him. Now Douglas Louise is taking them. They're being whipped right into the area, into deadly positions, and we're getting goals from them. So um, this is my long-winded way of trying to delay tactics so that I can come up with a score that I think is fitting. <laughs> um, and I, 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 well, as I say, I, I could see Villa winning 2-1, but I could also see it, be, see it being a one-all draw and Villa being absolutely delighted to come away out of the month of, October, out of, the month of September, and I know we'll be in the, in the, second, or the 3rd of October, but out of that five-week period, coming yeah. away with a valiant victory against, against Chelsea, a victory against Everton, a victory against United, and a draw against Spurs. I think Dean Smith will be opening a nice fresh can of whatever he drinks and enjoying <laughs> the, looking back at those results because going to London for Aston Villa is not usually a happy, a, a happy hunting ground. So coming away with a point, I think would be, I think everybody would be happy with that. Just, just out of curiosity, was like as, as a Spurs fan, I know all too much about the negativity within the fan base, but as as an Aston Villa fan, like do. Do you actually see Tottenham as like going and playing one of the big six teams? Like, do you see us as an actual uh, sort of like challenge or one of those, 
I don't want to say great days out as if you're like a conference team, but kind of one of those big challenges, like one of those games that you relish almost as a uh, as a free um, pass. And if we lose, it's grand at Spurs. Like I, I really can't imagine that. See, that this is, is still there. This this is this is uh, that's a great question. So like in my lifetime of following Spurs, I would have thought our, ourselves and Spurs were the the next best to the rest. And um, with Everton, like the three of us would be the next best of the rest. And we would have always been boxing clever with Spurs and so on. And, you know, Spurs would go out, make their flashy signing and a Klinsman and maybe bring in a Les Ferdinand and an Armstrong or whoever. And Villa would still be vying for the fourth position in the league with them. And and, and usually we'd be out, out um, finishing them in the league. Maybe four, mm-hmm. they might finish fourth, Spurs would be fifth, sixth, whatever. So we would have had great battles. But then obviously Spurs then kicked into a gear from a financial point of view and knew that football was changing. And we obviously still had Doug Ellis and then we had Randy Lerner and things got close between us again. And then we didn't have Randy Lerner and things went right down low. So I suppose really to answer your question, I think Aston Villa fans will, will circle the Spurs game and go, they're a nice team, nice barometer to be able to put ourselves up against. Um, and up until probably this year, I don't even think last, I think last year we would have looked at you and said, right, there are points that we need to rob as opposed to points that we can we can, we can can actually really maybe tentatively put down. Yeah, because you. obviously we finished, like uh, nearly got relegated the year before. So to answer your question is that, Villa, Villa fans of, of certainly my vintage and my like following them since the since the mid nineties, early nineties. We would always circle Spurs and go a good team, a good barometer. If we want to be where we want to be, we would need to beat Spurs. So that that probably answers the question. Like we would never see you as a pushover. Like you've got absolute quality. You know, you're a very wealthy club stuff. So it would be remiss. It would probably just be putting carrot and blue glasses on us to say, nah, Spurs are nothing anymore. You know, they're not a top six team. They kind of are. Uh, well, they're not kind of are. They are. They're perennial top six finishers. And uh, there is a fear factor, I think, there still with Spurs. And I, I be honest with you, I think, I, I think, and this can happen with fan bases as well, that maybe just had gotten so close to pushing on to the really the next level and never really did it is why, where where do we go next? Where do we go next? Because everything from here is a slight is a slight regression, and that can be a bit, a bit difficult. It was difficult for us when we were when we were trundling down the league uh, after Martin O'Neill left. Very difficult then when we had Julia came in, and you know we had to rally at the end of the season. Then we had Lambert. Then we had Tactics Tim. Then we had uh, you know we had litany of, of, of oh, managers. Don't talk to me about him. <laughs> <laughs> litany of managers. Then after that, and it just didn't work out. And and believe me, you know things got hairy among the fan base around Villa Park, and people weren't you know like it, it was toxic because there was stuff going on that shouldn't have been going on. Then we nearly went out of business. So what I'm trying to say yeah. here is, I think I can certainly empathise to the way Spurs fans are at the moment, but. Realistically, I think that you're not going to fall too far before you start to go back up that up the league again. And I think that you're probably um, as just a small bit, uh, as, like potentially a, a manager. But I think that new, I think it'd be absolute madness to get rid of Nuno after seven or eight games. And I don't think he does. I think he lasts the season anyway. Um, and I think that there is more for him. I, I think it's an implement, implementation thing, really, um, f- for the players. But uh, Villa will look at this at this and see. Yeah, this is these these are earned points against a team that are um are of a higher end of pecking order than 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 but but they're where we want to be, but maybe not where we are just yet. I love it. 
That's what we yeah. thank you. <laughs> a couple of couple of um a couple of chats there because I neglected the chats. So I say uh, uh and, and I apologize about that. Darrow Grady, Darrow was in the the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and he saw Mora score a goal, uh, which is interesting. One of very few. I, I can imagine you're one of very few Irish men to have seen Mora score a goal live. <laughs> Uh, which is interesting. Um, Supi Mark says he definitely have house in his Arnett. Absolutely. And I think the meritocracy that Dean Smith has is very evident. I know he gets stick sometimes for maybe having his favorites and playing the same 11. He certainly did last year. Um, I think the meritocracy around uh, house earning the shirt, I think certainly will will, will allow him to keep it. Um, uh, allow him to keep it for sure. Um, we were talking about Wolves earlier on there, and Ad says Wolves didn't really attract any of those players. Mendes brought them in, and that's a that could be true. Mendes hasn't really followed, um, followed uh, Nuno to to uh, London, so we'll see. Which is interesting because you think that he would his eyes would light up with that scenario. Maybe Levy didn't want him want his grubby mitts around the club or anything like that. Who knows? I suppose that's think... for that's for a tell all story at some stage. <laughs> I think there's some bad blood there with what happened with uh, Gennaro Gattuso when we kind of pulled out of that last minute. I think he's represented by Mendes as well. So mm. I feel as though there might have been some uh, relationship strained there, shall we say, between Tottenham <laughs> and the age. Maybe so. <laughs> Maybe so. Uh, Stephen Evans thinks it's going to be 2-0 two, two to Villa. That would be great for me. Maybe not so much for Matt. And he thinks that uh, Watkins is due to score. Uh, Ad says about the Kane situation is hanging over the entire squad. They all know he's leaving. It's just a matter of when. Is is. Is that still? I, I presume it, it's true until mm-hmm. it isn't. But then again, yeah, you know, what does he have to do to prove that he wants to stay? Oh, I, I don't think there's anything he can do. To be honest, I mean, I, I genuinely think he has the boat of sail for him in terms of getting a move to to Manchester City or to one of those top teams because he has a bad season this year. He goes from being a 28 year old striker who sometimes get ankles injury ankle injuries, but is one of the best in the world to being a 29 year old striker who gets injuries, who was a bit past his best. And all of a sudden, the 150 million that we were asking for becomes maybe 80, 90 million. And then all of a sudden, City are with him, but maybe we'll give you 50 or 60. And I think things really can change that quickly with him. Um, he he believe, I can't see him being here beyond next summer, but I, I don't think it'll be uh, the, the big flashy move that, that he expected he'd get, to be honest. If Harry Kane goes and signs with Juventus, our team in Italy, Harry Kane scores forty million goals in a season. <laughs> in Italy. Uh, that's and I think he should. I th- I think his game suits it. I think he can play in, in that style, that slower style. I think he would light it up. I think he'd go out there and be um be brilliant. But uh, I don't want to be selling any of your players because people did it to us for too long trying to sell Jack Grealish. So so I, th- this one has really stumped me. Harry is short for Henry and not Harold. I'm going to leave oh, that I'm one out there. I don't that. have an opinion on that one because I, 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 I feel like I've been lied to all my life if it is short <laughs> for Henry. Because it's not even shorter than Henry. Is it one, two, three, four, five? One, two, three, four. No, it's not even shorter than Henry. But then again, Jack is Jack is short for John and John isn't shorter than Jack in numerical numbers. True. Number. Yeah. Go for Th- These are the tangents I go on on podcasts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to be yeah. honest, I enjoy talking about this more than I enjoy, talk, enjoy talking about Spurs at the moment. <laughs> Um, here's one for you, uh, Matt. Delhi has shocked me how far he's dropped in such, such a sh- uh, so. F- Sorry, I'll start that again in English. Delhi has shocked me how he's dropped so far short of his initial promise. Maybe he's just lost the hunger. I remember he came on as a sub one game against us years ago. Came on and won the game, and, and he's only 25 years of age, which nearly blew me away. Um, yeah. he had that brilliant season when he was 21 after he signed for Menke Dons, and um, he he's been on like. 
and and I know that he does have his uh, his his struggles um, personally and stuff like that. But uh, what 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 do you think is it with Deli Ali? Is it just a lack of hunger? I really don't think it is. And when 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 you kind of think it's not a lack of hunger, it's it's really difficult to pinpoint exactly what it is because he comes out and he does these interviews all the time and. Look, it's, maybe he does it a bit too much to the point where maybe you can see through. But he says, "I want to improve my game. I know I'm not playing well enough." And I, I think he—you can see the kind of desire on the pitch. But for whatever reason, it just doesn't—it doesn't work for him. And that that one season, 2016-17, I was actually only in work today talking to a few lads about this. He was ridiculous. Like he was genuinely like being compared to being the next uh, Lampard, Gerrard, Scholes. He was smashing goal scoring records in comparison to those few. For, for me, he's one of the players that that truly, truly made me fall in love with football. Watching him and, and that kind of link up with Harry Kane and his kind of intricate runs and these passes and just the the sheer. It, it was all natural to him. It was all this natural intelligence and natural ability. And for whatever reason, it just seems to have faded. And I, I think the, the problem with him under Jose in particular was that he needs kind of a father figure as a manager. Like he had MK Dons, he had Carl Robinson who I think is, is always that to all of his players. And he continued that when he moved on to Oxford. Um, with Pochettino, he was, players literally said, he, he's like a father to us. Danny Rose, I think, calls him dad. Um, it's, it's a bit weird. But like I, I think it's it's just a combination of loads of different small things, whether it's uh, kind of an inability to adapt to different systems um, or maybe a stubbornness to, to want to be that number 10. I don't know what it is, but God, if I knew what was going on with Deli Ali, I'd make sure I, I got the word to him because I don't think anyone knows. Um, Dara has a suggestion as well, just in case you haven't had the fish and chips in the in the in the, um, in the Spurs stadium. Uh, apparently, they put minty stuff in the mushy peas, and it's top class. So that's just a public service announcement. As you know, we're much more than a football podcast here. We're now branching into the culinary arts as well. So if anybody's got other recipes or little strange things they throw into their mushy peas, please DM us. We'd be delighted to share it on our podcast going forward. Um, Alfie says that he's a lot more confident going into going against Spurs this Sunday than he was last season. Um, I suppose a win in uh, like. I am, I suppose, as well, because a win against uh, a win in Old Trafford uh, will do that to you. And plus, we were on a poor run of form before we played Spurs last season. Um, coming up to the end of the season, we were beginning to fizzle out as well. So I don't think any Villa fan could really say that they were confident going into many games as well. Um, we've got an answer. Harry is the male give, is a male given name, the Middle English form of Henry, but it's also a diminutive form of Harold, Harrison, or Harvey. It's one, of those, one of those rare situations where. We were both right. We were both right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's even rarer than someone admits that. I, I respect it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so, guys, there's there's a load of, load of comments in here. Paul Merson's Paul Merson Villa legend. I wonder if this is the real Paul Merson. If it is Paul, I really appreciate it. All your work you did for Aston Villa. But three one to Villa. I honestly think we'll turn them over. Um, Rod says that he's just excited to see Villa play again. Our squad is just great to watch. And, and, and I think that there's a, there's a key word in there that our squad is very good. I think when we came up into the Premier League, we were playing um, more or less the same team week in, week out. And even last year, we were playing the same team week in, week out. Now we have a squad and we still have Bailey, Buendia, Morgan Sanson, uh, Trezeguet's back training again. We've got El Ghazi, who was starting and scoring goals at the start of the season. Now isn't even coming off the bench. We've Bertrand Traore as well, who was a mainstay in our team last season. He's now seen as a change of pace player. We've had, we have Axel Tunzebi on the bench. The only thing we're missing, I think, really is a real, and I and this isn't to say anything bad about Jed Steer, is a real top 
sub goalkeeper, maybe like a Galini, like Spurs do, because he cut his teeth in the Premier League with us, and we were too very, very quick to get rid of him because we needed that five million sell-on clause. Otherwise, we would have gone, we would have gone bust. But um, Galini is, is is a top class second second string goalkeeper. But I think apart from that, we've got we've got uh, strength and depth, and, and and I don't know if anybody out there is listening, and I know. I know that we put this, I meant to put this on at half past eight so that, so that people go watch the under 23s and come in here and watch it afterwards. But I forgot that the under 23s was starting at seven. Uh, does anyone know what the final score was in that? It was nil all when I, when I popped on. So if anybody has that, the reason I mentioned is because I know Philogene Bray started that game um, and Carney Chuck Moeke didn't start that game. So I imagine he would be on the bench and he would be an option from the bench on Sunday as well. So bringing through that, that, that homegrown talent like Spurs are with the likes of Harry Winks, Oliver Skip. And uh, Dane Star- Scarlet as well, you know, are people that um, and Troy Parrott, who is lighting it up down at MK Dons at the moment. Mm. Um, I'm laughing there. There is John, John and Jack, Harry and Henry, Mushy Peas, what a pod. Yeah, that's that's what we get to. That's what we get to. Rod makes a good point here. I think Erickson leaving was treated far too casually by Spurs. We at Villa and other clubs were terrified of him. Spurs just let him walk out the door. Crazy. Mm. I'm gonna, this last question I'm going to ask, because Jesus, we're nearly an hour into it. Fuck it. <laughs> this is a question that could be keeping going for another hour, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do agree with that. Uh, but what, what I would say is, and someone made the point as well about Vertonghen and Alderweireld, that it, it was treated too casually and we didn't, We I think we have tried to replace them, but the issue we made is waiting until they left to replace them. You know, we, we knew Ericsson was running down that contract. We knew he didn't want to stay and he was going to leave. A year before he goes is when we need to get a player and start kind of uh, getting him into that team. And you, you do still have to say Ericsson for the last 18 months was woeful at Spurs. I think I think it might have been a good two years uh, since he actually got a corner past the first man at Tottenham. He went, you know, this uh, dead ball specialist who went three years without scoring a free kick. Um, he did have his his own flaws, but yeah, there's that kind of prime team of 2016-17. Uh, we, we didn't replace them. In, in any capacity, I suppose. And there was 18 months there where we didn't sign a player, where I think the only real bid we made was £15 million for Jack Grealish. And we're, we're, we're paying the price for that right now. We, we really and truly are. Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah. That fifteen million pounds. <laughs> Jesus, imagine if we saw them. Now you mentioned, do we see? Do we see Spurs as being one of those top six? I think we would if you bought Jack Reed for fifteen million pounds. But we wouldn't see you as one of those top six. We'd see you as a sworn and mortal enemy, <laughs> one which we must slay at every corner. That's exactly uh, what we would have seen you as. <laughs> but uh, you didn't, so we don't really see you that way. We don't really see you that way. We, we did you we a will, favor. We will, exactly, yeah, you did us a favor. Although we will for 90 minutes on uh, on Sunday, we will see you in that, in that very same vein. And you, I'm sure, likewise. Um, Absolutely. It's, we're 56 minutes into the podcast. Uh, genuinely, time has flown, and I was really interested to, to, to get your take on the Spurs situation because even though last time we spoke, we were speaking about Spurs, and it was very much about the board, um, this has been this has been a real eye opener about like how the house of cards has has I'm not going to say crumbled but it's it's just a bit more has fallen in from it and it mm. all seems to be stemming from the top again so um you know it's never nice to see a club be in inner turmoil like that as well so I do hope you guys get sorted out but after Sunday uh, please preferably um and then um you know more party and pressing that up the league <laughs> after that uh but matt thank you so much for um thank you so much for um 
for popping on. It's it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, I, I don't know if you've done any preview prior to the match. I think I, you hadn't went out of it when I was looking at it. But um, <laughs> yeah. uh, do you have any? Where, where can the lads find any of your stuff? Maybe they want to go back and 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 see any of your your hot takes and spurs uh, over the last few weeks before coming into the game. Yeah, look, what I've become very accustomed to saying is if you want to see a Spurs fan cry while watching this team play, my channel is the place for you. Uh, it's, it's Matt Hayes Tottenham Vlog um, on YouTube or at Matt Hayes THFC on Twitter. Um, I haven't done anything done for this game yet. I'm not sure if I will. I'm taking a bit of a, a step back from YouTube after a, a hectic and painful summer window, shall we say. Um, but look, Neil, always a pleasure to join you on here. You know, I'm, I'm in the, the comment section whenever I can. It's a fantastic channel. and It's a, a pleasure to be back on with you again. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you so much. And uh, here's to our, here's to Sunday. I, for one, I'm working tomorrow, so I was delighted that the game isn't on tomorrow, so I can sit down and 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 bunker in on Sunday with uh with a. I was gonna I was gonna say a beverage, but I think I'll be on the soup or the or the the, the coffee on 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 Sunday just in case, and uh, I'll sit down and watch the game. But it's a festival of sport, so I won't have any any inclination to moving. And it's it's supposed to be dirty weather around here anyway in Ireland over over oh, the weekend, so so it uh, might be a day to light the first fire of the year as well, and we'll see. But um. Listen, we'll uh, we'll chat to you again, Matt. Thank you so much for popping on, and for everybody who's out there, thanks so much for for all you do for the podcast. You know, the likes, the shares, the comments, the the DMs. This week, I've been probably this week has probably been my worst week ever for getting back to people. Like I usually like enough to have a chat in Twitter and stuff like that. It's probably been my worst week ever. I do apologize. Um, just a busy week on work and stuff like that, but uh, keep the interaction flowing. I really love it. And uh, we're on the way. I know it might only be 2,000 followers, uh, 2,000 subs in, in YouTube, but we're on the way there. And if you know of anybody, as I always say, and now that we're opening up again, you're going to pubs, you're going to other people's houses. If there's any other Villa fans that are there and you see they've put their phone down and it isn't locked, subscribe them. <laughs> They'll thank you for it afterwards. They'll thank you for it afterwards, believe me. Um, so thanks very much, everybody. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, Sunday Pleasure. at 2 p.m.? 2, I think, yeah. Sunday at 2 p.m. Uh, we'll be here with a team sheet tantrum as we always are an hour and 15 minutes before the game. We hope to have our roving reporter, Paddy, outside the stadium, provided he could get good Wi-Fi. Uh, Dara, is there good Wi-Fi outside the stadium? Is there good, uh, good internet connection outside the stadium? Because um, if he can get it, he's going to pop on and we're going to have a live in the moment outside the Tottenham Hotspur team sheet tantrum. So don't miss it. Um, thanks very much, everybody. I, this is the longest outro ever, so I'm just going to say all that's left to say is up the villa. Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.